It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Okay, folks, it's comedy time again because my guest is comedian Butch Bradley. He's performing Thursdays through Mondays at 10 p.m. at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Strat Hotel and Casino. For ticket information, go to thestrat.com and for everything about Butch Bradley, and there's a lot of stuff going on, go to butchbradleycomedy.com and you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And Butch, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, see, I've worked Vegas for years, all the way back when Comedy Stop was here at the Trop for years. Bob he gave me, Yeah, Bob Kephart. He hooked me up and gave me some running legs, and he believed in me. And, uh, you know, just it, it's an incredible thing to have the residency. I'm one of the non-celeb residents, but the city's comedy scene is just on fire. And with the club's new room, it's it's just been a cool blessing. That's why I was kind of reviewing it. I first came in, they were upstairs. I was exhausted from touring and I thought I'm not going to stay full-time in Vegas and who knew pandemic life new club got a couple movies out of that room. It's the industry industry has squeezed here from New York and Hollywood and Man, it's good to be here. Well, now, can you do that? You mentioned they moved the club upstairs. Do you get tired going up those stairs? Because yeah. you got your legs from Bob Kephart. Now you're, you're maybe limping a little bit, right? Yeah, right. Later, well, so. well, yeah, well, it was upstairs. Now it's downstairs. You're but okay. comedy's walk is a long, exhausting <laughs> walk. And uh, that's, you know, guys at my point, uh, there was probably a hundred with me. And there's only a couple that keep walking because they, you know, they found medication and a day job, you know? Yeah. You know, well, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of other of your projects in a couple of minutes, but I just want to get your background a little bit for our listeners. I know that you had started as an improv person at the Boston Improv Troupe. Yep. And then you branched out from there. So how did you, before even the Boston Improv Troupe, where were you and how did you decide to go down that road of comedy? So. I was I went I was in Philadelphia managing uh, nightclubs for a company that had like 15 properties. I had a beverage marketing degree. I started working there when I was like a sophomore in college and working the summers and I stayed with them. But secretly, I always dreamt of being an entertainer and I was exposed growing up in Atlantic City to comics. Uh, my mother went from a waitress to Resorts International in 1979. And with that, she had access to introduce my brother and I at a very young age to legends like Shecky Green, Rodney Dangerfield, and Don Rickles. It was always in my blood later in life, doing 60 and 70 hours a week in my field. I was so burnt out, I thought, I should hurry up and try my dream. I can always get a job I don't like. And that's when I ended up following my mother, who opened Foxwoods Casino later in life in New England in Mystic, I went, got a bartending job, and started taking improv classes and going to Boston and finding the open mic scene, beginning at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. And I was in the improv troupe called The Id in Harvard Square. 
with like like Al Del Benny and Bobby Kelly's a big comedy seller guy. He's got a huge podcast. And that's where it really started. And our guests on our improv troupe show were Patrice O'Neill, Bill, you know, Bill Burr, Dane Cook. All of these guys would come in and and that's where it started. It was just improv was my heart. My family's big storytellers, East Coasters. You know, my family, 90% of my family members are funnier than I'll ever be, you know? <laughs> so, and you became, that's how it started. That's great. And then you became a, an opening act for people like Ray Romano and Louis Black and Kathy Yeah. Lennon. You and, gradually work your way up in those spots. You, right. you, you hope to host and you hope to, you know, middle and then, you know, guest spots. They look at you. They audition you that way. But being from Atlantic City, I had reached a little bit of a funny level where people I was trying to get into the comedy stop in Atlantic City in, in, in Las Vegas. And because I was local and famous comedian Kevin Knox and a couple of the guys are like, he's a funny new guy. He is from Atlantic City. So they gave me a look and I did. I did OK. But Bob Kephart really enjoyed watching me sweat in 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 one of those in an old Atlantic City room with 200 people over the age of 80 he thought it was really funny to watch me come off soaked in sweat and he said I'm going to give you a shot I'm going to work you here I'm going to work you Vegas I'm going to work you Laughlin he said and I'm going to enjoy watching you eat it <laughs> yeah so well, it's, it's definitely it's certainly the road it's a, it's so funny because it was a very specific road it wasn't you were on the you weren't on the road just at anonymous comedy clubs you were working for Bob at his clubs yeah, and as a result, that was a a steroid version of being on the road. One hundred percent. Everybody was. I couldn't understand how incredible his comedians were and why I didn't know them from television. But that period of time in early two thousand one, two, three, four, five, and they're all way before me. They're like the late eighties, the nineties. These guys were just murderers in Vegas and Atlantic City. And especially Vegas, it was headliner, headliner, headliner. And these comedians were 15-year-plus killers. And that's the the group that, you know, that's why I'm here today. They made me, they taught me, they taught me by beating me up and running <laughs> me down. Yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger or funnier. Yeah. Or right. both, yeah. Oh. How yeah. did how did you end up at the Strat? How did that all happen? Because you're obviously performing and you're in a bunch of movies. We'll talk about that in a little while. But how did you end up at the Strat for this residency? So L.A. Comedy Club is, you know, kind of interesting. Their their career as comedy club owners, they were young guys working for Sharippa at the Riv. Steve, yeah. Watching and seating comedy while going to UNLV. Just for our listeners, Steve Sharippa, who used to be the entertainment director at the Riviera and, of course, is now on Blue Bloods. And Sopranos at one point. And Sopranos now. Yeah. In the back. Yeah. Yeah, In the past. Sure. So Matt and Joaquin were these young guys in college and um, they kept popping up in the scene with this L.A. comedy club. I was already working for Kephart. I was working for the Laugh Factory out of Hollywood and then here and and Brad Garrett I knew from Hollywood. So I was working for Brad Garrett. I was I, I, op- I was blessed with opening win casino. I had these big corporate gigs for Bellagio. I was kind of the younger headlining comedian in Vegas and they were always around and, and a really fun gig. And later in life, when they found their legs at the Strat, I was just coming off of touring Asia for like six years in and out of LA 
I had a residency in in, uh, in Shanghai, and the comedy scene in India, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, and Shanghai, and mainland China was off the charts until a handful of years ago when that part of the world started tightening up. I came in exhausted, and they said, we have a 10 o'clock show we want you to do. I'm walking up to this room. Strat is just revamping. It looks like, uh, you know, a mall in the middle of America that's been forgotten. <laughs> you know, homeless guy's dancing me up the steps, you know? He's just dancing. And and I'm like, what? If, where's my career? What have I done? And who knew that that faith they had in me, the 10 o'clock show started with 10 people, three other comedians tried it. They're like, you're never going to pull it off. It just got going, man. That club just started killing. It became this little secret in Vegas. And all these celebrity comics started popping in. And all the comedy store style comedians were grinding in this really tough, cool room. And it just took off for me. And I never left. And it's it's made me a better comedian. So you went from Asia Major to once you got here to the Strat to Asia Minor when you first walked in <laughs> right. and you went, what, <laughs> what? Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm intrigued by your Asia performances because how did you work that with the language barrier? When you travel these parts of the world, you know, a lot of these countries, their youth up to the age of 30 are really savvy. They're fluent in English. They think America's cool. My shows in Shanghai were like 40% local very hip Shanghai kids who thought stand-up comedy was very edgy and very cool because we speak about our emotions and that's not common in those parts of the world to express I feel bad, to express I don't like this. To All those, those expressions are very cool to witness by other cultures. You know, East Coasters, New York, Jersey, Philly, I grew up with everyone. I had to learn. You have to learn quickly to dialogue dialogue with other cultures and to be open. And it was, um, I just learned. I learned Mandarin basics and understanding. I, I always go to another country and learn what the do's and the don'ts are, you know. And then I respect them. And then I, and then I remember we have mom, dad, husband, wife, children. We all want money. We all want to enjoy dinner. You know, it's all common, and that's where I usually run from. So what, you you became the funny American instead of the ugly American. <laughs> true, true. It, and, it was, I mean, the fact that you were able to absorb some of the culture and be sensitive to that. Yeah, I, I was a little bit of an ugly American sometimes <laughs> between you and I. <laughs> you and we're, know. Not, we're not talking about your face. You're talking about just your yeah. behavior. Yes. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Shanghai makes Vegas look like it's, you know, little brother, you know. You know, I'm on a scooter at two in the morning. I just bought a Christmas tree from the top of a bridge and, and I have a bottle of Jack at my feet and I'm asking God to forgive me. So, yeah. No, understood. <laughs> Yeah, now, you did some you did some recent movies. So how, are you able to I guess because of the schedule you have at the Strat, you're able to take time out to get into movies. And, and you, I know you had a recent Amazon Prime special as well. Yeah. So how is, All that, of it, is it a balancing act for you? How does that work? Well, you know, I used to like try and pause projects and say no and be worried that, you know, the owner's going to be like, are you crazy? But with the, with the way social media has become, and I'm very lucky that the Strat and Matt and Joaquin and 
the other owner, Ezra, they want me to explode. They want to celebrate me. They're real laid back. They understand that the bigger I get, the more help it is to all of us. Um, and in that little room upstairs, I had Todd Fisher, Carrie Fisher's brother, sitting next to Sean McNamara, director of Soul Surfer, 400 television shows, and now the movie Reagan with Dennis Quaid. And they're just in there on this night with 12 people. I'm in the back. Probably shouldn't be what they call the green room because there's electricity everywhere. <laughs> and I'm having a breakdown and going, there's 15 people out there. What have I done to my life? I calm myself down. I go out. I nail some really nice improv riffs. There might be 24 people as I'm leaving. And I glance and I go, wow, they look like industry. There's just a vibe about them. But I thought, no way. They came to the top of the strat. And that oh, that homeless guy danced them up the steps. There's no way, you know. But I listened through the curtain, and I heard this guy go, man, that guy is hilarious. And I stuck my head through, and I go, hey, I'm glad I was listening. They introduced themselves. A friend of mine there is an actor. They were filming the documentary for Doyle Bronson and Doyle Bronson's daughter, famous poker player. All right. And, you know, poker brought the industry to help my career. He loved me. Todd Fisher, Sean McNamara said, what do you need? Another lesson I've had is tell people what you need. I said, I need a special. And this six foot three Irish guy hugged me and said, you're getting a special. They gave me the special. About eight months later, Sean McNamara is obsessed with my improv. And he goes, you know, he's got me riffing the Reagan movie. I don't realize it, but he's got me riffing scenes and riffing scenes and and then three months later, I get a call and they're like, you know, your flight to Oklahoma. I go, what flight? <laughs> what are you talking about? And the woman goes, sir, you've been cast in the movie, um, you know, Oklahoma. You're one of the Continentals. And in 1954, Ronald Reagan came here to work at the frontier. And they, he had four guys called the Continentals. His movie career was slumping. And his wife, according to the biographers, was really cool. Nancy was like, let's go to Vegas. Let's cut out for a year. And he was on this over-the-top show. I got to play the Continental, and I got to improv with Dennis Quaid for two hours. Nice. It was inc incredible. It was incredible, nice. yeah. And you're also in the opening act, right? I'm in the with opening Ken? act with uh, Jimmy O. Yang, Ken Jung, directed by Steve Byrne, a good friend of mine in comedy. Steve actually and has been on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, we're good buddies. That's my crew. You know, years ago he was we, on, yeah. Yeah, like Ken Jung was just barely doing comedy and he'd come up on my stage and play guitar and meet him and Tony Rockwood improv in Hollywood. And, you know, that all of those, Brett Ernst and like all these these guys, uh, just and Sebastian and all the guys, you know, uh, just killing it. Koi Joe Koi. That was like my evenings in Hollywood. I was really blessed. It was us. And then all of these celebrities like Tony Rock and, you know, Sandler and Tim Allen when he was warming up to get back to stand up. And then we were popping into Vegas. And so it's it's been a really cool thing. How did you manage to connect with Hollywood? And yet at the same time, you're not Hollywood. You're you're, you're Butch. You're yourself. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I think it's because, as I said, my family is way funnier than I am. <laughs> yeah. I was raised by a lot of women that are hilarious. But you don't come Italian across you don't Irish come across people. as a typical Hollywood type, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You are you are Butch Bradley, regardless yeah. of whether you're 
at the Strata in Hollywood filming a movie or elsewhere. So I guess you just stay you just stay true to your personality and nature. You know, I think I have such a tremendous respect for comedy. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Richard Jenny, Dave Chappelle, you know, Louis Black. I was a little kid. I was shown what great was and and early SNL. And I watched Jack Nicholson cross the street in Hollywood about 10 years ago. I almost passed out. <laughs> I I have a respect and I love being a part of it, but I'm, you know, I forget that I'm a comedian. <laughs> People will approach me and I, my New Jersey thinks, hey, babe, we're getting mugged. And she goes, no, you're a comedian, idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's a fan. <laughs> they were like, great show. And I'm like, oh, all right, hey, we got no money. Right. <laughs> got no money. But, you know, I appreciate it. I think I really just really respect and love comedy. And anytime I saw anybody who thought they were anybody, I would like, they weren't good. They weren't good. Everybody I know that's a killer, they come in. If I don't know you and you're quiet, I'm like, I bet this guy's a killer. I bet this guy is going to murder, and I'm going to be soaked in sweat after he gets off stage. Well, you, you mentioned know. you mentioned you get guest comedians with you as part of the show. I do. Do you take part in the selection process in collaboration with the owners, or or do you just they do it? Well, because and part of the deal is my relationship. So I were I still do weeks at the cellar. I do weeks for Brad. I do private shows for, for Brad. You know, when, when he needs me to cover, it's a great honor. I cover, I do the laugh factory. These are all showcase clubs that start in New York and LA you audition for, you hope you're a regular. So that sort of passes through. It's a really cool, like fraternity for all of us. And I call, Hey, Tony rock. I see you're up to street brother. Come say hi, Ruben Paul. These guys pop in and see me famous social media guys and comedians that are rolling through will also say, can I come in and warm up? Don't advertise me. I'm doing an hour up the street in the big theater. Do you mind? Yeah, come on in. So it's sort of a, a you know, I call those guys high level killers that might be at the cellar or prepping for a giant show at Wynn or Mirage or wherever. So they're dropping guests. Dropping guests. Yeah. No, that's and a the, great idea. Yeah. And the pop, the, the the main core here, which is way different than it was five, six years ago, is this local comedian community, which LA Comedy Club really developed, is good now. And it was real tough because I I would ha I'm explaining to guys who don't know any com no comedy elsewhere that you're in a, a major killer environment and you're probably not going to see stage, but somehow this Vegas being what it is. They developed an open mic scene. And these guys, man, now they're on your heels. Today, it's five, six years later. These these are comedians. And this has a really cool comedy scene for all levels. Are you at the stage where you become a mentor to some people now, as opposed to learning when you were coming up? You know, as soon as you say mentor, I just always think every night I learn. But I do offer, I see guys grinding. And I do give as much information as I can because you can't really teach someone to be funny. You're going to be either funny or not. It's not for me to – your comedy dream is between you and God. And you'll find out if you're funny quickly enough. Right. So, <laughs> but I can give support and say, hey, you know, don't lose your job. Don't put pressure on this. Work. Save money. And when you're good, comedy goes – 
Hey, your book this weekend. Hey, you're opening for this guy. Hey, it, it'll speak to you loudly. You don't go chase an agent. Someone's going to call you and go, hey, I would love to represent you. So I share information like that. And when I see a hardworking guy, I do put them on my show. And it's not an easy spot. And they'll learn from it. And um, it, I try and give back to those guys that are really grinding. Well, I, th I can see how you could do both. You could you yourself could continue to learn, which is good for everybody to do. And at the same time, you can give advice and information to people who are not where you are at the moment. So that, that makes right. perfect sense. What's been the funniest night you've had over there at the Strat at the LA? God, we, you know, you know, even being a part of like here in Vegas, you know, we're part of history with comedy because we've always had alcohol, you know, and all the comedians a hundred years. Wait a minute. Alcohol. Where'd that come from? Yeah. We have right. alcohol in Las Vegas. What? So we have the alcohol, as we know, we have the desert, we have dehydration, we have no sleep, we have drugs that are legal. And now we have drugs that are legal. So I look at an audience and I have different parts of the world and communities with politics and life, marijuana, no marijuana. And wow, man, it's those evenings can really fly <laughs> because we were the first comedy club. L.A. County was the first comedy club open in the world after the pandemic. And and for and and like for in the U.S. for a long time. So I was experiencing these things. So I'm like, I have to, I have to get in this. I'm not political. I love everybody. I, I, I have my own issues, but I have red, I have blue, I have black, I have white, and I would just get into it. I'm like, Oregon, you're here. Are you done flipping cars for about 20 minutes? <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, Trump lovers, do you think we could just like go easy? I mean, on the on the red for a minute. I'm like blue, and then I have like these. Four really cool black girls in the front row, and I thought, "Here, I gotta be me. I gotta see." I go, "Ladies, are we cool? Are we coming off the phones tonight?" I got the. I go, "The only white guys you got to be worried about are the four guys with the Trump hats." Place goes nuts, and I'll tell you, I felt it. I was like, "You know what? We're gonna go forward. We're gonna be cool." And that was one of the craziest, coolest nights to see blue and red fade. People be cool. People next to each other. We're worried about being sick, but man, it was a comedy club. It was, it was, it was Vegas, and I was here in Vegas after nine eleven. Vegas is where you can see where society is going to be able to go forward at what speed because we come together. And the special part of Vegas is we leave all that behind. It's cool. Well, comedy I've always felt is a social lubricant where you can unify different people. But you have this this part of society, I'm not going to say it's the majority, the so-called cancel culture or people who get offended very easily. It seems to me that as a comedian that you're pretty fearless. So you're going to go out there and, and you almost have to be to win the audience over. You can't show fear and you can't show hesitation. To me, that sums up your performances. It does, but I also have enough worldly travel where I've learned enough you know, and, and, and I really do think travel and language are the ultimate education. And I'm not here to offend anyone. I may be misunderstood. It is my job as the professional to make my translations as close to honest and funny as possible so that you hear me addressing the truth, with, which may be offensive to all of us. 
but I'm just trying to make what we're experiencing a healing, funny process. And that takes, you know, years of experience, but I also know who I am. So if I'm snagged, I just come clean. Hey, I have no issues with you. You know what I mean? Uh, I love the military. I've been to the Middle East, but I don't want war. <laughs> well, I think, too, that you can, besides being fearless, there's another factor that enables you to perform the way you perform. And I think it's the likability factor. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think people don't perceive you as a threat and you have a likability factor. Right. So you're able to do more with comedy with various groups than another comedian who may come across as more hard edged or unlikable. I agree. And, you know, and I think all of these things we're discussing, it's all fear. You know, cancel culture is people who are so afraid. They're afraid. They want to defend other people, which is when we start to have problems. Everyone's capable of speaking for themselves. I'm literally in the front row talking to a gentleman. To face is completely tatted. Totally cool guy. Him and I are having fun playing. And another woman over here goes, you know, you, you really should back out of his space. And this feels racist. And I look over and I go, do you think this guy is going to let me upset him any more than like, I'm like, I think this gentleman right here with his gang tattoo is quite capable <laughs> of defending himself. Thank you for your help. I really appreciate you. But I think, you know, we we're both having a blast here. But but thank you. And, you know, thank you. You know, so yeah. I'm, I'm used to those moments, but at their fear, people are people are afraid. So. In my position in front of 300 people of all different backgrounds, I don't mind playing with it and addressing with it and lightening it. My evenings aren't – it's not It's not my HBO special. It's I'm trying to bring a room together and, and have fun, be smarter. But also, you know, I, I do a little – we do, I do a little Dr. Phil against my wanting to, <laughs> you know, it's, no, that's it's, okay. It's, yeah. Every now and then I'm like, we're safe. Everybody breathe. You know? Hey, looking ahead, what, what do you want to be doing in five or 10 years? And I, I mean, you have a, a great residency here now and you're able to do outside projects. Would you like to stay on that course for the foreseeable future? Yeah, you know, this is a beautiful course. And also because as an artist of Vegas with the pandemic, so many of the people were laid off. And when I first went back to work, honestly, I was so humbled up. I remember there were 10 people there and the owner's brothers, the door guy, Drew. And I looked at him like, he's used to the, the pre-pandemic me, which be like, there's only 10 people here, you know? And he looked at me and goes, yeah, I don't know what you're going to do. I go, hey, I'm not complaining anymore, man. I tell jokes for a living. So, you know, I'm thankful, you know. So the future is go to stage, keep growing. I'm writing a new hour. I'm actually working on a book right now about memoirs of my experiences uh, with Cassie Wells, which is really exciting. And I'm, I'm in pre-production with a movie with Stoner Rob, who's Cannabis Host of the Year. And we're bringing back that really fun like those movies where we just left that were stupid. We have a deal in which Sean McNamara is attached. So that'll be springish. And go to stage and just, you know, keep knocking it out, man. I go to stage every night and really in, in enjoy this amazing city for artists, you know. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been comedian Butch Bradley. He's performing Thursdays through Mondays at 10 p.m. at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Strat hotel and casino. And for ticket information, go to thestrat.com. And for everything about Butch Bradley, go to butchbradleycomedy.com.
Butch.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And Butch, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.